Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. Today's message is this, finding true north and discovering transcendence. You see, our, we have an internal navigational system that takes two things for us not to be lost. The first one is what's called egocentric, which is the personal direction, and that's things such as external objects, like you know that you're going to turn when there's a tree on the corner and it's got a, the, the house has got a red door, or you're going to know there's some things that, are, that you personally have access that you know that's the right place to turn. But then there's what's called allocentric, and that is the uh, external that is much like the very thing we just watched that some of you don't have and some of you do have, and that's the environmental points, north, south, east, and west. We call this the sense of direction. I love my wife. She's sitting on the front up here. Um, we've been married for a long time, and there's one thing that my wife is, and that is she is directionally challenged. My wife, this past Tuesday, I did something very bad. Men do not do this because you will get in trouble for it. I did. On Taco Tuesday at Cafe Rio, which is our hangout and our date night on Tuesday night, $2 tacos, awesome Taco Tuesday. We got through, and we're walking out of Cafe Rio, and I decided I'm going to open the door for her, and I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait and see which way she goes. Because I knew we walked from the same car, the same direction, into the same restaurant, and I want to see which way she goes. Sure enough, she walks out. Now think, the car's over here. Where's she go? And I'm like, hon, where are you going? I'm going to the car. Honey, we came in the restaurant together. The car's where? It's over here, isn't it? No, it's over there. It amazes me. She is an incredibly brilliant woman, but when it comes to direction sometimes, I know if she's saying, hey, I think you need to take a right here, I know what that means. Which way should I go? Left. Left. So why is it that we struggle sometimes with finding direction in life? I'm going to talk to you today about a guy named Solomon. I'm going to use him throughout this entire message. Uh, Solomon, if you have your Bible, you're taking notes. If you go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 17 first. But let's talk about Solomon. Solomon is a story of a man who lost his way. He lost true north, and he lost that transcendence with God. Solomon gave us three books in the Bible. In his early years, Solomon gave us what's called the Song of Solomon. In fact, young Jewish boys were never allowed to read that book until they were 12 years old at least. And Solomon gave us the Song of Solomon, an incredible book about the beauty of love. In his middle years, he wrote the book of Proverbs, which is 31 chapters, one for each day of the month. And it's great wisdom. But in the closing of his life, Solomon wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. You don't hear a lot of preaching from Ecclesiastes, but today I am. He was the wealthiest, richest man of all times. He was wise. He had academia. But he developed alliances with foreign gods, and he lost his true north. In the process of his life, he even wound up with sexual exploitations. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I struggle with one wife. I couldn't imagine having a thousand wives. He had the lifestyle that was dreamed of by the rich and famous. He had his own uh, fleet of ships that would leave every two years and would come back with loads of gold, silver, 
spices, and exotic animals. I mean, Solomon lived a life that something happened. And I'd like for you to look at Ecclesiastes 2.17. This is the last book he wrote. This is toward the end of his life. A man who had everything. He said, I came to hate life because everything down here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. How can you wind up in life hating life Everything is troubling, and everything is meaningless, and it's like chasing the wind. Because in the beginning of Solomon's life, he wasn't like that. 1 Kings 3 and 3 says that Solomon loved the Lord. He loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David. And then in 1 Kings 11 and 4, at the end of his life, this is what it says about Solomon. He lost true north because when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart. He lost true north. His wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not true to the Lord his God. What is true north? True north is the constant on a compass, sometimes referred to as magnetic north. No matter which way you turn, the needle will always point north. No matter what I do up here on this stage, no matter which way I go, whether I go this way, I go this way, north always stays constant. It doesn't change. The great thing I love about north, and no matter whether it's storming outside, whether it's snowing outside, whether the sun's shining, or whether it's night, north is always going to be true north. It's not going to change. But what else is true north in our lives? Inside of us, you say, do we have true north? I think we do. Sometimes we refer to it differently. But I think we have an internal geolocating device that guides us through life. Some people refer to it as a moral compass. There is something inside of us that wants us to go a right direction. It's the fixed point in a spinning world. It's that area of your life that's most important to you. It's that values, passions, and motivations that make you act and do what you do. Because inside of us, we want to know which way should I go and what should I do. We also want this, what I say, we want transcendence. We want to discover what true north is, direction, but in the process of true north, we want to find transcendence. Transcendence comes from a Latin word, which means the existence and or experience beyond the normal, beyond the physical realm. The word trans means beyond. The word skandar meant to climb. It's to climb beyond the ordinary. Solomon, who said in his life, everything is meaningless like chasing the wind, also said, he said that in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, but in chapter 3, this is where he starts dealing with the transcendence that he knew he had to find. He says this in 3 and 11, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Planted in my heart and planted in your heart is eternity. Every major religion in the world seeks for something that is beyond where we are. Even certain religions that require you to go through stages of paying for certain stages to get to a place of euphoria. You're, you're trying to find a place of transcendence. You're trying to go a place that you've never been before to experience something that you've never had before. 
Solomon found out that on this horizontal earth, there's nothing that could satisfy the human heart intellectually, physically, or practically. He tried everything, and he says, it's meaningless. We do the same thing, if you think about it. We try to pursue true north, and we try to find transcendence by things tangible also. And I'm not against things, so don't, don't go that route. But, but we as Solomon think that things can satisfy. If I can fill me with something I can see, touch, and feel. Write this down. If I can attain something that I've never had, maybe it will make me feel something that I've never felt. If I can attain something that I've never had, maybe it will make me feel something that I've never felt. Why do you think we work ourselves to death sometimes to, to garner, gain, collect? And yet how many times have you ever gone out and got something that you never had and you wound up with what I call buyer's remorse? Why did I buy that? There's nothing like driving a car off the showroom floor, but when you realize that when someone ran their shopping cart into it the next week, that new car is no longer new. Or if you have it on a set of payments, the first payment comes due, the new car smell is now tainted with the smell of a payment. Because you have something that you never had, but it didn't give you something that you never felt. Jesus said it in Matthew 4 and 4, and it's also found in the Old Testament. He said, man cannot live by bread alone. Now, was Jesus just referring to a loaf? No, he was referring that we are more than physical bodies that need food. We are spiritual beings that need God. And what we do is we think if I can just get this or if I can just have that or if I can just be a part of this or if I can ever own that, then one of these days, and we think as Solomon that if I can just ever have my ship come in, tangibly, we think it'll give us transcendence. But Solomon also said there's eternity planted in the heart of every human. We do it tangibly. We do it mentally. We try to grasp at transcendence through all kinds of things. Uh, some of you might remember there was a word called transcendental meditation. Now, what was that? That was the idea that you could go from the sphere of life that you're in now, and you can enter a, uh, a, what I call a level of higher consciousness through the certain meditation that you would take you into a world of fantasy, it would take you into a world of maybe even the, through music or the arts or through sex. The list goes on that if I could just find something or feel something, maybe I would feel successful in my way of life. Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, he says, His thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways. And see, I'll guarantee you, every one of us in this room, we realize that. God's ways are not my ways. And we say, you know what, but I get lost sometimes. I get confused. I, I need to know which way is true north. I need to have a direction I can trust. Let's jump from Solomon Let's jump to a guy about 400 years ago that lived from 1623 to 1662. In his short 39 years, the French mathematician, physicist, inventor, and writer named Blaise Pascal gave us and influenced us 400 years later with things to this day we still enjoy. 
Do you know that Blaise Pascal, between 1623 and 1662, he developed the calculator, public transportation, probability, decision theory, which is used in insurance companies and in management science. In 1600s, he developed and found the existence of vacuum, which set the stage for quantum physics. His thoughts, in fact, some of his early drawings were behind the jet engine that is used today. In 1600, Blaise Pascal found and began to draw out the internal combustion engine, the atomic bomb, and even talked about mass media. You would think a man of that ability, that, of that much academics, and that ability to think so far in the future would think he found transcendence. He found something. But in his own words, he said this. This is 1640. Since this present age never satisfies us, experience tricks us and leads us from misfortune to misfortune until death, we try mainly to fill it with everything around us, seeking from things absent the help that we do not receive from things present. But they are all inadequate because only an infinite and immutable object that is God himself can fill this infinite abyss. The guy that began the thoughts of quantum physics said that there's only one thing that can fill this infinite abyss, and that's the infinite and immutable God himself. We long, we long for someone to just say, that's the path. You can have that ability. Things are never going to satisfy you. Ecclesiastes 3 and 11, let me read the rest of the verse because I read the first part of the verse. Let's finish it now. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity in their hearts. And here's the rest of it. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Have you ever got to that place in life that you just don't know what to do? This message is a result of the time spent with our altar ministry here at the end of every service. Many times I am privileged to be able to come up and stand here and to pray with some of you. And over the last month, the one thing that I've heard over and over is I'm just not sure what to do. A lot of students attend church here, and so they're asking. I had one young lady, she says, look, I'm getting ready to graduate in religious studies, and I just don't know what to do. I'm not, I'm not sure which direction. I feel, I feel like maybe this is it, and I think maybe this is it. And then I had a, an individual that had just gone through a horrible abuse situation, and, and this individual was saying, what do I do? Do I, do I go back? Do I just keep taking it? Where's true north? And Where's this thing that's bigger than me touching me? You see, instinctively, we're all drawn to forever. There's just something about the possibility of a shoreless ocean of time. And when we think about it the most is normally at funerals. We look up at pictures at a video display of that person's life, and we think, oh, it's, it's gone so quick. And, and then you reflect on your own life, and you think, I sure hope there's something else. I sure hope there's something else. The difference is that we are different than all of creation because inside of us, God planted 
eternity in the human heart. I, I know that your dog or that cat you love, you think that all dogs go to heaven. And I know Disney got it wrong, but maybe he didn't. But inside of you, there is a desire for eternity. You say, what does that feel like? It's the feeling of being blind at the edge of Niagara Falls. Could you imagine being blind? You can hear it. You can feel the mist coming off the water. You can smell the water. But the overwhelming is right in front of you. But you don't have the capacity to take in its beauty. See, so many things can blind us from truly seeking for that innate desire that says, I want to know what true north looks like. But yet God put in us eternity. David said, from the ends of the earth, I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me, true north me, God, show me the towering rock of safety. God, just, just help me, God, to know which way to go. I believe today in this service that some of you are going to experience something that the Holy Spirit is going to speak clearly to you. And many of you may have felt aimless, you may have felt directionless, and you weren't quite sure, where's the compass saying go? In fact, I think even today that maybe somebody sitting here is thinking that, you know what, this pursuit of things, this pursuit of prestige, this pursuit of position, and this pr pursuit of power, it's not working. Think with me, one of 20th century's great authors and Nobel Prize winner, Ernest Hemingway, Marilyn Monroe, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain, River Phoenix, Heath Ledger, Robin Williams, and recently Anthony Bourdain. Do I go on? When we think that something in this earth is going to satisfy, we forget that planted in the human heart is a desire for transcendence. We want to know which way do I go. And so today I want to help you define a couple ways we can do that. In 1943, psychologist Abraham Maslow introduced what he called the hierarchy of needs. It was a pyramid, it looked like this, and had five planes on it. The lower plane was what he called physiological, that's food, water, air, clothing, place to sleep. Next was safety. I just want to feel secure. I want to have resources. I want to have health. Next was love and belonging. This is what he called the horizontal plane of intimacy, family, and a sense of I have a connection. And then he said fourth was esteem, respect, status, recognition. And then the last was what he called self-actualization or be all that you can be. And, the, and, the, and if you've ever studied Maslowian psychology, Maslow himself said that less than 3% of the population will ever achieve, less than 3% will ever achieve the be all you can be. And why is it inside of us we're saying, if I could just get there, and we don't even know where it is, but we think if I can just, and we're trying to do this, and then all of a sudden in the midst of this, we just, which way do I go? Even in his, in his posthumous work in 1971, he wrote a book called The Farther Reaches of Human Nature that was released after his death. 
Maslow amended his five. In fact, in most higher schools of education, they don't refer much to this part of his work. Maslow said transcendence refers to the very highest and most inclusive or holistic levels of human consciousness behaving and relating as ends rather than means. He went on to say that there is in human beings in general a desire that we want to connect this way and then we want to connect to the cosmos. So how do we find true north? If you're taking notes, you know here at Gateway we ask you to take notes. Here's, I want to give you two ways of finding true north and experiencing transcendence. Here's the first one. Here's the way we do it. When God reminds me how big he is and how little I am. You say, come on, that sounds debilitating. That sounds, that sounds so encroaching. No, think with me. It's like watching the sunrise or set or gazing at an endless ocean off the coast of a beautiful island. I remember sitting on a, on a Hawaiian island and watching, and they told me, says, if you'll wait till the sun touches the horizon, it'll burst. I must have blinked my eye because I missed it, but I just know this. I sat there on the beach, and I was just thinking, this is unbelievable. But you know what it did to me? I saw nothing but blue on the water. I saw nothing but blue in the sky, and I watched the sun and I watched it just begin to disappear. And it made me realize just how big God is. Even Jesus, in the prayer that he gave us, we call the Lord's Prayer. If you, if you don't pay attention to the prayer, you could say, that prayer is debilitating. You say, what do you mean? What does it say? Our Father which art in heaven. Well, there you go again. You've got that eminent, great God, grandeur God. But, it, you know, Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't say, Our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Let me remember, let me hallow your name. But then he said, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? In earth. Now, let me ask you a question. In Genesis 1, where was man created from? The earth. When you pray, Kingdom come, will be done in earth. What are you praying? You're praying in this earthen vessel. God, would you transcend and come into my life? David said in Psalms 90 and 2, he said, Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You know, kingdoms are going to come, businesses are going to come and go. But you're God. There's an overwhelming greatness of God. But my question is, how big is your God? To me, the, the greatness and grandeur of God is kind of like being left in the woods with a compass for the first time. That happened to me at age 10. My brother and I always hunted with my dad, and my dad would walk in the middle, one, my brother would be on this side, I'd be on this side, and we'd hunt together. We lived in the panhandle of Florida in Panama City. And we would go hunting in an area called Weewahitchka. It's an Indian name, but it's a very remote area, uh, very woodsy, very backwoodsy. 
It's almost like being in Alabama or Georgia, and we'd go hunting together there. And I remember my dad gave my first. It was an Ithaca 20-gauge shotgun. I still have it to this day. It's break down the middle. It's a cool-looking gun. As a kid, I thought I, was, I thought I was the rifleman from TV as a kid. You know. And we'd always go out my dad. I don't think we ever did much, but my dad would take us hunting, and the three of us would go out. And I remember hunting as a boy, thinking this is the greatest thing. But there came a time at age 10 that my dad had been teaching us how to use a compass. My dad was in the Navy. And he learned how to use a compass in the Navy. In fact, we used to live, again, on the west coast of Florida. We would go out 15, 20 miles in a small boat, and we didn't have any electronics on the boat. My dad would have just this, a compass. There had to be a law about taking kids out into the Gulf of Mexico that far with no electronics. But as a kid, I trusted my dad. We're going to get back. And, and I remember going out. We, we'd be out past the international line. And we, as far as you could see, in all 360, you couldn't see anything because it was all ocean. And I'm thinking, how are we going to get home? As far as I know, my dad, we're going to wind up in Mexico. Do you know what my dad would do? He'd always get us back with a compass. We'd head out of the dock and he would say you know boys here's what we're going to do we're going to head out about 260 degrees west and then we're going to come back in at uh, about 100 degrees 130 degrees east and it's going to take us because coming back in I know that I, and he would start seeing things because we'd be outside of sight of any land and he would trust his compass that day at age 10 my dad said days today boys we're going to go separate ways serious said, yeah, I've taught you how to use a compass. Here's what's going to happen. He said, uh, Philip, what I want you to do, I want you to go out about 60 degrees northeast. I want you to wait 30 minutes. Do a 30-minute turn around about 30 minutes. We're going to be gone an hour. You're going to come back. When you come back 30 degrees northeast, you're going to come straight back. And he gave me the coordinates to how to come back southwest. And he said, just make sure you stay your compass to do north. It's, you're always going to be fine because you know which way north is all the time, son. He told my brother, I said, here's what you're going to do, David. He said, I'm going to send you out so many degrees northwest this way. You're going to come back southeast, and when you come back, then we're all going to be here. He said, here's what's going to happen. Boys, I'm going to go straight. Philip, you're going to go that way. David, you're going to go that way. That way we won't be in any other's shot pattern. Let me tell you what happened to me with my compass. I didn't care if there was 1,000 squirrels in the tree. There was only one thing I cared about. Would I ever make it back to the spot I had just left? I remember when my dad went forward, my brother went that way, and I remember the moment when I lost eyesight of my dad. And all I had was a compass. I had to rely upon that. Many times in life, We've leaned on things, but when they disappear, it might have been a relationship that went south. It might have been a business that you gave everything to. It might have been all kinds of things. It might be you in your fourth year at a university saying, I, I thought this was the right thing to do. Well, which way is true north now? See, there's something about God's vastness and greatness that enthralls us and we love it. And in, in Isaiah 6, it, we've heard the verse before. It said, it was in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now notice what Isaiah says. He was sitting on a lofty throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Attending were mighty seraphims. Each had six wings. They were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. We've read that verse. You've heard messages preached on that. And we think, that's great. That's awesome. Isaiah, I'm glad you saw God way up there. But what about down here? 
It didn't just say holy, holy. In the original Jewish language, when you found holy twice together in the original Hebrew, it would describe something that is most holy. But these angels were crying out. These seraphims were saying, holy, holy, holy. They were talking about the greatness, the grandeur of God. But if we're not careful, we'll miss the last part of that verse. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Do you know if I take this same compass and leave Phoenix and fly to Hong Kong, do you know it's still going to point north? If I take this same compass and I fly to South America and I'm in Brazil, that arrow is still going to always point north. There's a universal magnetism in our earth and there is an eternal draw in your heart that nothing else is going to satisfy. David said this in Psalm 13, For the Lord is high above the nations. There's that eminence of God, greatness of God. His glory is higher than the heavens. Who can be compared with the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? But if you stop there, you'd miss the beauty of it all. He stoops to look down on earth. God stoops down to look on heaven and on earth. This great, big, eternal God. I know he's up there, but I need him here. And he says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to stoop down. And he did it 2,000 years ago through a young lady named Mary. And he said, I'm not just going to stoop down. I'm going to invade the world you live in. I God and going to transcend to this planet. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2. He said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. This is the attitude of Jesus, how he transcended. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Just think about that. Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in a human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This God, this eminence of the universe, transcended time, transcended sin, and said, I'm going to come down there. I get up early in the morning, my wife and I love to pray together, and the one thing we do is we love to watch the sun come up, and she'll tell you there's times when the sun starts to peek over the McDowell's, I'll say he's going to do it again. And you say, didn't your wife get tired of that? No, because every morning I've got up, he does it again. The sun's going to come up, and he's going to stoop down and make sure that sun does this and he's also going to make sure that the gravitational flow on this planet does not get off one degree because it would fling us into the entire universe this great big god i love it when he shows me how big he is and i'm reminded how small i am here's the second thing how do you find true north and transcendence is when you realize that something infinite is reminding you that you're finite When something infinite reminds me, I'm finite. When I gaze into the heavens and realize that our little solar system that I get to be a part of 
has a diameter of 7.5 billion miles. If you drove 65 miles per hour nonstop around the clock, 24 hours a day, it would take you 13,172 years to get across our little place we call home. There are over 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Each one represents a solar system more or less the size of ours. And astronomers estimate that there are 50 billion galaxies in the universe. And there is now what is called the contained universe. We have now, through the Hubble telescope and by other areas of technology, we've only gone so far. And now scientists know there's something outside the known universe. But we don't know how big it is. But I can tell you this, even though scientists haven't seen it, that no matter how far you go, guess who's there? God is. No matter how far you go this way, guess who's there? God is. And that infinite part of God is great to remind me that I'm just finite. David said it this way, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? human beings that you should care for them. David wasn't asking God if he did. David was rhetorically saying, God, you blow my mind. We live in a community that we don't have a, um, a mailbox in the front of our house. We have a, a centralized mailbox that's 17 miles from our house. Okay, it's around the corner, but it feels like it's forever. When it's 115, you've got to walk to the mailbox. But I did something. We moved into our house back uh, tw uh, 12 and a half years ago, and I learned to start walking. I'd never seen a shooting star in my life, ever, ever. But moving to Arizona, I've seen shooting stars all the time because now I walk to the mailbox at night. And, I and you know what I do? I do this. I've got my keys in my hand. I, wa I walk like this. And now I've actually learned. I know where the North Star is. I know where the Little Dipper, the Big Dipper and some of that other stuff, I'm not sure whether it's a, it's a star or if it's a Southwest Airlines landing at Sky Harbor. I'm not sure. But, but I love to look at the scar, stars and realize, you're there, aren't you? And what I do sometimes in my, and, and I know maybe I'm weird. No, I am weird. But if I'm worried about something, one of the best ways I can take fear and get rid of it is go for a walk at night. God, you know that thing I thought was so big? Wow, you're up there. That's pretty awesome. When something infinite reminds me I'm finite. We talked about Blaise Pascal earlier. When Pascal died at 39 years old, they found inside his lab coat the following handwritten note. It's now referred to as the Midnight of Fire. And it says this, the year of grace, 1654, Monday, the 23rd of November. From half past 10 at night until half past midnight. For two hours, this genius of a man experienced what he called the fire of God. Listen to this. God of Abraham, God of Isaac. This was in his coat. God of Jacob, not the God of the philosophers and of the learned, certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He can only be found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I've known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. Let me not be separated from him forever. 
And Pascal wrote what God did in him for two hours on the November 23rd, Monday night. For two hours, the fire of God's holiness and love, a touch of true north and the transcendence of God enveloped a man. And he never forgot what God did. And in a moment, science, mathematics, the affairs of man, the achievements of his mind, all just seemed to go away because no longer was God a carefully codified theological dogma. But God was real. God was real. I believe there's some of you here today that you're desiring to know, God, which way do I go? What do I do? Where should I turn? Should I sell? Should I buy? Should I ask him to marry me? Should I ask her to, whatever it may be, there may be a million things that you're just asking, would someone just hand me a compass? I'm here today to hand you a lifeline that in a few moments I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes because I'm going to ask you to spend some time and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And during that time, when I'm praying for you, I'm going to have our altar team to come and be ready up here because when I get through praying, I want some of you to not to walk out of here today saying, I don't know which way north is. I want you to walk out of here saying, that's God. I want there to be a peace in your life that you may feel like I'm this big, but God, you're this big. My problems, they felt like they were this, but God, you're bigger than every bit of it. Because I know today that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can do something in your life that nobody, nothing can do. As a compass is drawn to true north, our hearts always are drawn to him. And that's why Solomon wrote in his second book, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he'll show you. He'll show you which path to take. But here's the part that I felt even this morning early in my prayer time before this message, that no matter which way you turn, even if it's away from God, True north is always going to point that way. You might have been on a path this way toward God, and maybe something's happened, and you're doing this now, but guess what? True north says, go that way. Do you know what we call that? We call that repentance. The word in the Greek is metanoia. A change of mind, but also a change of direction. Romans 2 and 4 says, do you not realize that God's kindness, not God's judgment, not God's anger, but God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. I believe today that the Holy Spirit can, can direct your path and give you a direction that you've never had peace about. And if you're away from God, maybe this is the day that you've heard that message of a transcendence of God that came and robed in flesh and dwelt among us and humbled himself and died. And this could be the day that you turn to him.
Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.